0: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.
1: Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. We've got a lot to talk about this week. Uh, really some interesting numbers, I think, on the Cardinals' defense from last year and how different pitchers were affected differently. We're going to talk about how the Dodgers are once again projected to have a very good pitching staff. And Kenley Jansen talking about spin rate, by the way, was kind of fun yesterday. We'll get into that, too. Uh, the Mets have improved their team in a very interesting way, I think. And we've got some pretty cool plate discipline numbers dug up by one of our colleagues, David Adler. But first, we're going to talk with, about the Cardinals And I think, you know, last year, if you watched the Cardinals, you'd probably say it wasn't a very good defense. They made 133 errors, the most in Major League Baseball, the most by a Cardinals team since 1998. But if you're a listener of this show, you know that I don't care about errors because errors don't really matter. The Cardinals were 10th in defensive runs saved uh, with plus 40. They were 10th in ultimate zone rating at plus 13. And in our outs above average, which is just outfield range, they were plus 10. They were 8th. They had a couple of really good fielders. Harrison Bader obviously was awesome. Colton Wong, even Paul Dejong was good. Yadi Molina. So up the middle, they were good, and they still made a ton of errors. And I found that really interesting. And I think what we want to dive into here is that, you know, a they're going to improve, I think, and b not every pitcher was affected in the same way. We kind of talked about this with the Phillies a few weeks ago. Well,
2: you could argue that they don't really need to. I mean, you don't really they don't really necessarily need to improve. If we're going to start with the assumption that like errors kind of don't matter, then they like, don't. They already are a pretty good defense.
1: I think they the the errors well they don't matter but the errors they made looked really bad like we have talked a lot on this show about our undying love for Jose Martinez and the way he crushes the ball he it was a bad look for him at first base and It was a bad look for him in right field and he's gonna be playing more right field this year uh because they've imported paul goldschmidt now that's an upgrade goldschmidt's a very good first baseman but then you kind of like look at the domino effect oh now matt carpenter's playing a lot more third base and now martinez is playing a lot more right field i don't want to say that cancels out the goldschmidt effect uh but it doesn't help i don't think
2: <laughs> i'm still not convinced jose martinez won't be traded but anyway let's get back to defense for a second okay
1: so really uh as i said they had up the middle some really good uh elite fielders and i think you know Harrison Bader only played half the year, right? A full year of Harrison Bader this is going to be super cool. The biggest problems last year, uh, Jose Martinez, who is minus five outs above average in the outfield and minus five defensive runs saved at first base. And Jairo Munoz, a backup who had a minus 12 defensive runs saved at a bunch of different positions. So those two guys dragged things down. You're pointing I, at I, me. I
2: think I saw, I, I wanted to raise this because I think I saw this come up on Twitter, a conversation with Tom Tango, someone asking about how many runs... How yeah. do you convert outs above average to runs? So I thought it was a good question. And I think he said the rule of thumb is kind of like 0.8. That is what he said. 0.8 uh, runs per out. So if he's, you know, you know if he's minus five outs above average, that is Jose Martinez, that's like four runs below average. Granted, he doesn't even play full. That's get the full thing. It's he did not play Minus four much. In, like in limited time in the outfield. So that's like kind of disastrous.
1: So um, obviously they've made some changes, right? Goldschmidt comes in, more Bader in center field, more Carpenter at third base, more Martinez right Rayfield, you know, some of those things are good. Some of those things are not so good. Um, notable, I thought, the Cardinals had the lowest shift rate in the entire National League. They shifted only 4% of the time last year. That was the second lowest in baseball. There's not a one-to-one correlation between, you know, more shifts and better defenses. I think we've, we've learned that the outcomes of shift are somewhat inconclusive, but I thought it was interesting. They don't shift. And they do plan to shift more in 2019. Uh, last November, John Mozeliak talked to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and he said, this is really interesting, I thought. I think it also has to do with the manager philosophy. We had a shift in our manager. That's like my favorite quote of the year, I think. And I would anticipate you will see the Cardinals shift more in the future. It does also come into play with your personnel. Do you have a comfort level of putting your third baseman behind second? And this is where I think the Carpenter part is interesting. Carpenter has played all around the infield. He's been a second baseman. He's been a first baseman. If you're putting him at third, and then he's spending more of his time in short right field anyway— is he more comfortable than maybe you know a Chris Bryant type, or maybe he's a bad example, but a, a Nolan Arenado, someone who is always at third base? Um, I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's, it's interesting. I don't love Carpenter at third base, but I think that's actually kind of cool. But what was really the most fascinating to me about this, and I kind of teased this on Twitter a little bit, It does not affect all their pitchers in the same way. And this is exactly what we talked about a few weeks ago when we looked at the really terrible Phillies defense and said that guys like Nick Pavetta were crushed by it, but guys like Aaron Nola really weren't. You can't apply a one-size-fits-all bad defense or good defense to every pitcher on a team. So the way I went about this is I looked at the 13 Cardinals pitchers who led 50 ground balls. For the moment, I'm just trying to get to infield, so that's why ground balls. And the difference between their expected batting average, which is based on launch angle and exit velocity, and their actual batting average was kind of fascinating. You know, for a lot of guys, there's really no difference whatsoever. Like Dakota Hudson, Bud Norris, Austin Gomber basically got what was expected. But at the extremes, it was really kind of cool. Luke Weaver, who has since been traded to Arizona in the Goldschmidt deal, had an expected batting average of 236. Michael Waka had an expected batting average of 256. So based on that, you'd say, wow, Weaver did kind of a better job there. Well, Luke Weaver allowed a 311 batting average, and Michael Waka allowed a 171 batting average. That is a tremendous difference. That is a 75-point difference for Luke Weaver uh, in a negative way for him, and an 85-point difference for Michael Waka in a positive way for him. So that is a spread of like 160 points of batting average. Now, that's kind of fun to see uh, just on the same team, and I wanted to know, well, those are extreme numbers. Do those numbers rate highly across the majors? And the answer is yes. Last year, 189 pitchers allowed 50 ground balls, and I did the same exercise uh, in a slightly different way. I wanted to know, yes, obviously the difference between their expected and their uh, their actual batting average, but then I wanted to know how that number differed from the team's number, right? I wanted to know not just across all of the game. I want to know which guys within the context of their team were being really helped or hurt. So, for example, I went and I looked up uh, Luke Weaver's numbers, and we got the same nearly 80-point difference. But the team didn't have much of a difference; it was about six points. So his 74-point difference was like sixth. And you should know that's tied with Luis Perdomo. We always have to get a Luis Perdomo note whenever possible. Um, Nick Pavetta, by the way, a guy we talked about is being crushed by his defense. Also high on that list, Michael Waka was at the exact opposite end of the list. No one was was helped. More by their infield defense compared to expected numbers than Michael Waka in all of baseball. And that aligns with his kind of top level numbers. He had a 320 ERA, but a 422 FIP. Uh, he had a 286 weighted on base. It's very good. And this is all numbers, not just ground balls. And a 348 expected weighted on base. That was the second largest of 516 pitchers with 100 plate appearances, that gap between expected and actual. So I guess my point here is really, um, you know, the defense. Yeah, not great in a lot of ways, better than you think in some other ways, but it's if you're looking to the future, you know I kind of like Luke Weaver maybe a little more now because he's going to what I think should be a very good Arizona uh, infield. And obviously that park is not a hitter's park anymore. And I know Michael Walker got hurt, but I don't think I look at him as a guy who's like a true talent 320 ERA coming off of this year. I, he worries me a little bit for next year.
2: Yeah, the one thing with the Cardinals that I think is is interesting is last year, like a lot of teams, they were doing a lot of mixing and matching, right? They would, It was – you you wouldn't – There's to me, part of the reason you're seeing such a variance in the Cardinals is because on any given day, you might have Jose Martinez at first. You might have Carpenter at first. You might have Jorko at second. You might have Jorko at third. Like there was not a lot of – I mean, they were – this is the way a lot of teams operate now. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. It's just like you have depth. You try to move pieces around, get at bats. But like, there's a wide variance in the different alignments you might see. I mean, he even like Jed Yorko played a few games at shortstop, not many, but like, yeah.
1: Like, and Muno is all over the place. So it's
2: like there's there's you get that you get get that kind of weirdness. I think this year because of Goldschmidt, Goldschmidt just sort of like changes that because like if he's healthy, he's playing first base 145 games. Yes. And Colton Wong is going to play most of the games at second base when there's right you know right he's going to play you know he's and he's gonna, very good. He's going to play almost. And then Carpenter is going to play whatever you think of Carpenter as a third baseman when Goldschmidt's healthy that's going to be where he's playing
1: yeah we we don't have great data on first base scoops but like anecdotally that's kind of what i heard from cardinals people is that the the other infielders didn't look so good cuz martinez is terrible at it and carpenter's only okay at it but goldschmidt's supposed to be very good at it so that should hopefully help everybody else
2: so basically they were they're going to go for a team with a, a, a huge like variable infield alignment to one that's pretty steady cuz carpenter and goldschmidt you want their bats in the lineup every day so basically, like, their first baseman and third baseman are going to be the same 90% of the time, whereas last year, maybe they're the same, like, 40% of the time.
1: I think that's a, a great point. And also, like I said, Harrison Bader every single day. Like, he didn't really take over that center field job until, I guess, uh, like, the end of July or, or thereabouts. So having him out there every single day will help. And I'll be interested to in know, you know, Marcelo Zuno, we talked about a few weeks ago, he did have a shoulder procedure. Will that help him throw again? Remember, there were games where whoever was in center, Bader or Tommy Fan, Pham, would be running, like all the way over to left field to get a ball that should have probably been the left fielder just so Ozuna did not have to be the one throwing the ball back in
2: i kind of think the, the the throwing my hunch is that like cuz i feel like it's been going down a few years for him Granted that's true surgery might have helped that but i think my 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 assumption is is that uh the uh, the arm is never really going to come back for uh, for ozuna
1: i'm still there for his bat i think you are probably right about his outfield well um, you know he's a good fielder like he's range wise the arm not so much
2: yeah, uh, I don't know if any people in my fantasy league uh, are listening to this podcast. Some are. Only if they want to win. Yeah, <laughs> or not, <laughs> based on my performance last year. But Azuna is a very interesting guy for fantasy for me this year is a bounce back.
1: Uh, I wanted to get in a little bit to the Dodgers, and it certainly feels like you know Dodger fans have been disappointed in this offseason, and... Obviously, they all wanted Bryce Harper, who is still unsigned and might still go to the Dodgers. But I get it. Of course, you want to get Bryce Harper, put him in that outfield. I didn't personally love the Cincinnati trade. Uh, It seemed like it was opening up room for a move they haven't made. But I don't think that necessarily means it's been a bad offseason because, you know, A.J. Pollock's a very good player. And I liked the Joe Kelly signing. And they brought back Kershaw and Ryu. That matters. I think people don't really care about guys coming back in the same way. It's being excited for new guys, but it still matters. And I kind of was interested when I pulled up the steamer projections at FanGraphs the other day, and I saw the Dodgers are projected to be 2019's best run prevention team uh, with a, a 387, not ERA runs allowed per game. And I don't know. I didn't. I didn't expect them to be number one. Like I thought they'd be very good, obviously. Um, but like in my in my head, the best pitching staff in baseball is Houston, and maybe they're just being hurt by him. McCullers is is injured, and Morton's gone, and who knows what Keuchel's deal is going to be. So maybe that's part of it. Uh, the Dodgers obviously have a long history of being a very good run prevention team. They were first in the NL last year and first in the NL the year before and 5th in 2016, and 2nd in 2015. Uh, looking at the StatCast stats last year. In
2: a related story, they've been consistently like one of the two best teams in the NL. <laughs> All right,
1: it's, it's funny how that works, isn't it? Uh, last year, they had a 282 expected weighted on base, best in the NL, 2nd in Major League Baseball, exactly the same as the year before, best in the NL, Uh, and, and actually best in the majors related, they've been to the world series twice in a row. Funny how these things work, but it's, it's kind of fun to see that they are still, you know, the number one projected run prevention team, because if you look at their stars from last year, uh, Jansen, Kenley Jansen did kind of a terrible year. Clayton Kershaw got hurt again and everybody talked about how his velocity is down and he's throwing like 91 mile an hour fastballs. He's still good, but he is not like, you know, capital letter Clayton Kershaw anymore. For the first time in like the six years I've been doing my top 10 lists for MLB Network, I left him off my starting pitching list. It felt so wrong and so weird. He's always like number one or number two. And this year, you know, if I had like a top 25 list, he's on it he did not make my top 10 list.
2: Yeah, a couple a couple of things on that point. I was w- reading uh uh Jason Catania's uh fantasy starting pitcher rankings on mlb.com this morning and it was jarring to see Kershaw in tier 2. Um H- how big was tier 1? Like it what like, number? It was like seven or eight names. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but then also this could be the last time Kershaw makes the opening day start for the Dodgers. Wow. And you know, he has made every opening day start since 2000 2000- Okay, wait. I know
1: this. I know this. The last I know this. I know this. <laughs> Vicente Padilla. Yes? Yes, you are <laughs> a and I remember thinking at the time that was insane. Um but I always, I always enjoyed uh, two, two, the, uh, the soap bubble as uh Vince used to call his slow curve bubble. Yeah, no, I think it was in two
2: thousand nine two thousand ten. I'm trying to sorry, I'm looking I'm trying to look this up on the fly. Yes, two thousand ten, a eleven to five loss to the Pirates. Uh, started by Vicente Padilla. See, you have seven runs and four to third. Um yeah. Talk about
1: useless knowledge I've stored in my head somewhere. This rock this pirates lineup, man. This is a trip. Let's let's two thousand ten. Okay, so like Jack Wilson was probably there. Uh McCutcheon, obviously, right? Let's go to this lineup, Ta- Tangent time.
2: I, yeah. I don't remember <laughs> Akinori more being on the Pirates. He let off.
1: Uh yeah, I vaguely remember. I don't know. It was like Don Slot the catcher. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Iwamura, McCutcheon, Garrett Jones, who went two for three with two Homers. Yeah. Um, Ryan Dumit. Lasting's Millage. Oh. Jeff love Jeff Clement started first base. Oh man. Andy LaRoche at third base. Yeah. Zach Duke pitching. So talk about some talk about a failed prospect all-star team. You got Millage, Clement, and LaRoche down at the end of the line. Those
1: were definitely some names <laughs> anyway, that you just mentioned. Back to well, so our schedule programming. The point you were sort of getting at was uh you didn't say it, but I assume when you said this may be his last opening day start, it's because you're thinking that next year. Walker Buehler is going to be yeah, the I guy. Mean,
2: Kershaw will still get this year out of respect, but like I think that the this is going to be the year where Buehler emerges I, as like the guy.
1: Well, yes and no. I, I agree with you. I think he's already their best starter, and I have numbers to back it up in a second. But I also think that unless Kershaw goes like full Felix, he's getting the opening day start for as long as he's breathing on that Dodger team. I could be wrong. It also doesn't matter who starts <laughs> opening day. There's that too. Um, but I I do think yeah you know Walker Buehler. I did have him. On my top ten list, I snuck him in at number ten, above like Luis Severino and Patrick Corbin, and maybe I'll be wrong, but Walker Buehler is
2: awesome. <laughs> I mean, there's th- certainly some recency bias at play, this, but it's sort of like uh, if you watch the postseason, it was just like, oh my goodness, this guy's—he's a, a dude. This guy's this guy's electric. It remind it reminded me of um, 2015 postseason when I was like, oh, maybe synergard is the best guy in the Mets in the postseason, yeah. where it's like suddenly he like looked just a little sharper than everyone else and um that this was it was definitely um not that bueller wasn't great all season but like it was like definitely the,
1: the postseason was like oh wow last year 183 starters faced 200 batters and here's the top five in expected weighted on base and you don't have to love X there's other metrics as well but certainly i think these names pass the smell test number one chris sale sure number two justin verlander number three jacob Degrom. number four max scherzer that's a pretty good like four best starting pitchers in baseball Number five, Walker Bueller. Like he was that good last year. And I remember over the holidays, I did this thing where I looked at last year's uh, most dominant pitches, you know, pitch types by expected weight and on base. Bueller was the number one starter in four seam, the number three starter in two seam sinker, and he's also got 87th percentile curveball spin. He was a rookie last year. Like I, I think he's going to be a quiet. Cy Young pick in the NL uh this year. So that's one reason I think, you know, that's kind of the Dodgers are slightly different than in years past. Um they did bring back Kershaw, who had the ability to opt out, and they did get back Hyunjin Ryu, who accepted the qualifying offer. I think people forget Ryu had a 197 ERA last year, as after years in the wilderness of injuries. Um, another reason is because the projections really by Joe Kelly. I know that wasn't like the most popular. Speaking signing. of postseason uh Oh my god, yeah. And like I think we went through this in great depth, uh, you know, when he signed, so I won't repeat it all here. But the whole point was, you know, as as Matt alluded to, he had 13 strikeouts and no walks in the postseason. He looked unbelievable. And that alone is not worth giving a three-year deal for. But when you look at the underlying skills, right, so he had a 98.1 mile an hour average fastball. That's fourth best of over 600 pitchers. Uh, he had one of, he was one of only six pitchers who had 100 curveballs to average over 3,000 RPM of spin rate so he's got 99th percentile velocity 99th percentile spin started to pull it together in the postseason and if you think about teams who are into trying to take this raw material of velocity and spin and turn them into pitchers I think of the Dodgers the Astros and the Yankees like it's a perfect fit
2: am I misremembering or was he a guy that was like had had changed his curveball and added some spin to it
1: uh, i don't remember if he added some spin he changed his uh like his, he's trying not to tip pitches so that was part of it he stopped throwing his slider or, or change i think it was there's definitely pitch usage changes in the okay. postseason and he started throwing strikes um and then the the last reason about the dodgers here is the insane depth so uh Derek carty has been a long time fantasy writer and he runs the bat projection system and this kind of got to the point of this i thought perfectly he says the dodgers have nine starting pitchers that project better than the best starting pitcher on nine other teams, right? So if he listed out nine potential starting pitchers for the Dodgers, Kershaw, Bueller, Stripling, uh, Kenta Maeda, Rich Hill, Dennis Santana, Ryu, Urias, and Caleb Ferguson, each one of those guys project to have a better ERA next year than the aces of the following teams, Baltimore, Texas, Colorado, the White Sox, Kansas City, San Francisco, Seattle, Atlanta, and Cincinnati. Now, I would agree with you if you said I'm not taking Dennis Santana over Madison Bumgarner.
2: Sure, or, or Kyle Freeland. Or,
1: well, Kyle Freeland, you know, obviously. Or maybe I, Herman Marquez. But. Oh no, I'm here for Hermann Marquez. <laughs> he he might be my Cy Young pitch uh, pick next year. Uh, the Dodgers. Uh, uh, when I went back to Steamer, there were 118 pitchers projected by Steamer to be worth one win above replacement. The Dodgers have seven. That's most in the majors, tied to the Yankees. And that group does not even include the unheralded relief quintet of Pedro Baez, Dylan Floro, Caleb Ferguson, Scott Alexander, and Josh Fields. And those dudes combined for a 2.93 ERA in 276 innings i know the dodgers fans want harper and they should and i know there were rumors that Corey kluber this is still going to be a really really good pitching staff um just like every year now what would help is if kenley jansen started looking like quote-unquote kenley jansen again got off to such a bad start last year uh was a little bit better after that had had repeated cardiac issues which he had uh, a procedure done in the offseason to try to, to fix gave up some pretty big hits in the postseason But yesterday, I thought this was kind of fun. There was a a tweet from Bill Plunkett of the uh, Orange County Register. Kenley Jansen has become a spin rate aficionado. I kind of like it. It's better than velocity. Velocity can drive you crazy. It can create bad habits. He said he's over 2,200 RPMs when his cutter has life, and he was under 2,000 at times last season. So there's a slight problem with that. Those numbers don't actually make any sense, right? (laughs) Here's the thing. I looked up these numbers. Uh, There were 104 pitchers who threw 100 cutters last year. His spin was 7th best. His spin was 2,600, and he did not throw any pitches, uh, any cutters that are below 2,200 or 2,000. So my first thought was, well, maybe he's got uh, some system with the Dodgers where he's looking at, quote-unquote, active spin, right? Not all spin uh, is useful, especially for a pitch like the cutter. Tom Tango helped me look into this doesn't actually work out. It's possibly, you know, Jansen's using like a a portable RepSoto system or something that outputs other numbers. I don't know. The point is uh, our numbers don't exactly align with that, but that's okay. We can still look at what happened when he threw high spin cutters and low spin cutters. So what I did is I looked at his cutters last year and I split them essentially in half. Uh, The 51% of them that were higher than 2,600 and the 49% of them that were lower than 2,600. As you'd expect, there's some kind of correlation here. Uh, The high spin ones... Had an expected weighted on base of 226. That's really good. Low spin ones, 323. Uh, the high spin ones had an uh, actual weighted on base of 191. The low spin ones, 382. Here's the problem with this for an individual pitcher, the harder you throw a pitch, the more likely it is you will also gain spin. So the high spin ones came in at 92.5, and the low spin ones came in at 91.7. So he may be conflating spin and movement and velocity, uh but I guess the point is that, you know, now that he seems like he's healthier, um, he's not going to take the whole spring off. Last year he didn't really get in any games. This year he's already started throwing bullpens. If he can get the velocity back and the spin back, I still feel like you can still be the Kenley Jansen. And I think the Dodgers need that. That was a big problem for them last year.
2: I mean, I mean, I still expect him to be good, but like, you know, you have this chart you put in front of us that shows his the velocity drop in that cut over the years and it's been – it's notable. He's, you know, he's down legitimately two ticks from, you know, six or seven years ago. Granted, he, he had a couple of years, 2012, 2013, where he was in the 92-plus range, and then he was back up above 94. Last year, he was just basically 92. To me, the question is, if he's, around, if he's at 92, it's a little bit harder to sort of have – I mean – he probably is never going to be the curse, Kersh- the, the Jansen of what it was 2000. What was this? Ridiculous. What was the ah,
1: uh, this I think 16 maybe was yeah. when he was out of his mind. Yeah, something so like
2: that. he's still, he's still, you know, an asset. He's still good. Also, they have, as we just pointed out, insane depth. Yes, so they have different pitchers they can sort of like to use to ease the burden a little bit on, on what he has to do, which which will certainly help.
1: And I also feel like. When you look at that division right like the the Giants are obviously like starting over the Padres have insane talent coming but they're not there yet uh the Diamondbacks lost some important pieces the Rockies are a very good team but I don't think they've necessarily improved they've lost LeMayhu and Anaviino to me the Dodgers are the very very clear favorite in that division and you can probably get relief help at the deadline like we kind of see this happening a lot you know you don't need to have the team you have on opening day is not the team you go into October with you don't want to screw that too much and mess up your chances but I feel like they're in a position where they can probably do that right
2: I, th- I mean they're 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 as clear as a favorite as there is
1: uh i don't well, that's an interesting question i don't know that i'd take them over houston or cleveland i guess just Cle- because of the weakness of the al central yeah. um
2: slate so, so breaking news which i will, I will oh uh, yes
1: i'm uh, here not not that big where did Harper point? sign
2: no oh. not, not quite but because you, know, you mentioned the al central the twins um have just looks like they're breaking breaking out now uh two extensions for two of their players uh Jorge Blanco is getting five years uh, for twenty five point seven five plus two option years, and uh, Max Kepler is getting five for thirty five um, with okay. an option year. Cool. So it's uh, they're kind of going, uh, you know, the John Hart era. That's Indians, exactly what I was going to say. You know, locking up some of their guys, not necessarily like the stars of the team, but giving obviously gives them that kind of uh, that kind of cost certainty. Um, and those are those are two two solid players. Maybe not superstars, but decent um, contributors. And those those contracts are never going to like. Um, they're never gonna really like hamstring you. No,
1: right. Kepler is a popular breakout pick. It's just that I've been hearing that for like three years. and It hasn't quite happened yet. So it's sort of like I will believe it when I see it. Although I do uh, like him a lot.
2: But anyway, that, that said, going back to the Dodgers, yeah, you could, you could, you. Could, I guess the Indians would still be the the, the popular sort of clear favorite pick. And um, Houston,
1: and Houston. Houston's gonna. I like the A's a lot. Houston's gonna destroy that division.
2: Yeah, Houston is still really good. Um,
1: we also, uh, and maybe Matt, you want to explain this? Our David Adler. Dug up some pretty interesting plate discipline stats, and that I think the names on here are fascinating. Max, yeah, I don't think Max that, Kepler is on this yeah, list.
2: I don't think anyone, possibly in the world, enjoys just playing around with the Savant leaderboards more than David Adler. <laughs> uh, David Adler's on our research team here. Um, he comes up with a lot of a lot of interesting stuff. And last night he just started tweeting out um, a bunch of, of uh, plate discipline numbers that caught my eyes. So basically, he did he did uh, a couple of um chart a couple of tables looking at guys based on um. How often they swing at clear strikes versus how how often they swing at clear
1: balls. So what I think he's doing here is if you're familiar with our charts on Savant, there's really like three categories, right? There's obviously in the zone, and there's obviously out of the zone, and there's also the edges, right? That could go either way. And what I think he's doing here is excluding the edges, basically, and he's just looking at the like very clear strikes versus very clear not strikes. And uh, it should be pretty self-explanatory. I think swing at strikes, don't swing at bad pitches. That's like the best thing you can do easier said than done clearly so a
2: few a few things a few things stand out on this first and foremost is that joey Votto is head and shoulders above the rest of the league it's kind of crazy shocking um clear clear strikes he's swinging 77 percent of the time clear balls he's swinging 5 percent of the times basically almost 15 times as often like basically he's swinging at clear strikes 15 times as more frequently as he's swinging at clear balls
1: that's amazing. I don't have the hobby Baez numbers here, but I feel like it's like one-to-one.
2: Just so you know, next on that, next on that is Jed Lowry. And he's he's, he's a, a, it's like a difference of seven times.
1: And next on that list is Brandon Nimmo,
2: Mets. One on the Mets in a second. But yeah, so other interesting names on this list, because in the list, mostly pretty accomplished hitters. You got Andrew McCutcheon, Aaron Hicks, Yohan um, Mankata. Yon Mankata is really interesting because he had a really rough year. He had 235, 315, 400. And he struck out 33% of the time, 217 strikeouts. So
1: many strikeouts.
2: But what really jumped out at me is that another, David pointed out, is that the most called strikes on borderline pitches last year, Moncada had 60, by far the most, um, uh, most strikeouts looking on borderline pitches, 60. Trout had 41, Aaron Judge had 40. So Mankata was getting rung up the most of anyone in baseball last year on borderline pitches. So maybe, I don't know if that's a luck so thing. Or too re-
1: passive on, like, hittable pitches?
2: Un- unclear, but it's an interesting thing to keep in mind when thinking about Moncada, because next on this list of the full list we're talking about Moncada, Mike Trout, Max Kepler, Matt Carpenter, Alex Bregman. Those are good names. Yeah, so those- you
1: have nine really good hitters here, and I'll sell you on Moncada. So I-, I guess that's a good sign, <laughs> I guess.
2: It is, it, is, it is a good sign. Um, and the other thing that jumped out um, – And this is, you know, our transition to the Mets is that Jed Lowry joined the Mets and they already had Brandon Nimmo, who was high on this list. And that's kind of part of been the the Mets MO this offseason is kind of adding good players in the hopes of just like raising the floor of the team.
1: Yeah, the Mets have had a really interesting offseason. Like, like so many other fan bases, they want Harper and Machado, and it totally makes sense. Um, they've also seemed to like they keep adding infielders to the point where Jeff McNeil is now an outfielder or a bench depth. Jeff McNeil had a really good second half last year, and obviously, you know they they had Todd Frazier already. They expect to promote Peter Alonso. They've added Robinson Cano. They've added Jed Lowry. They've added J.D. Davis. Uh, they still have Ahmed Rosario, who is kind of one of my breakout picks for this year. But I remember last year, and I know that's confused people, like why are you like keep adding to what seems like already a strength. I think people forget some of the guys they had last year. Like how many plate appearances did they give to Adrian Gonzalez, Jose Reyes, Jose Bautista? Like they had built the best team of 2009 in 2018, and it didn't really work out so well. I mean, there, there was a lot of weakness in this team. So I kind of wanted to see if I could quantify that. And what I came up with is, I don't think it's a perfect measure, but it's it definitely correlates to success in some way. I simply looked at the number of position players uh, by fan graphs that ended up with zero war or less, right? Completely replacement level players. um, And I set a minimum of 10 plate appearances, which you are probably correct to say is too low, but I didn't want to miss like a bunch of those guys that then added up to like 200 plate appearances given by a team to unproductive players. And there's a really strong correlation here between number of guys Uh, who were unproductive and success. And the point here is that depth is important, you know, almost as important or more so than stars, because I'm not looking at stars here whatsoever. I'm just looking at the number of, let's call it bad players who played last year. The five teams that had the lowest amount of unproductive players all made the playoffs. Cubs, Dodgers, Astros, Oakland, Cleveland, right? That's unsurprising. It's Actually, to Cleveland, it's
2: kind of, it's a little bit surprising to me that they show up there because they're sort of seen as like this, like stars and scrubs team. Yeah. But as it turns out, they were actually at least able to like, you know, their 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 low end players were still at least above replacement level. The
1: the teams who had the most, all right. So none of those teams I just mentioned had more than four such players. Baltimore had fourteen players. That's not surprising. They lost seven hundred games. Uh, the, here's the top five, right? Number one, Baltimore. Or bottom five. Well, sure. Uh, let's count it down, right? So, uh, number five, Detroit. Number four, Kansas City. Number three, Miami. Those are all tied. Those teams were all, you know, last place teams last year or close to it. Number two, Mets. Number one, Baltimore. So that's interesting to me. Four of those five teams were lousy last year, are going to be lousy again this year. But then you have the Mets. And I think it's kind of maybe informs a little bit how they attacked this winter. Like we need to raise the floor. We need to add some of these guys so that we're not playing uh, Luis Giorme and we're not trying to find uh, Jose Bautista off the scrap heap. But I think that's kind of cool. I, I you look at like the Dodgers and Astros. Yeah, they have stars. You need your Justin Verlanders and your Justin Turners, of course. Uh, but you also need, you know, like you look at the Astros last year. Carlos Correa got hurt. Kind of a speed bump. Look at the Dodgers. Justin Turner got hurt. Clinton Kershaw got hurt. Corey Seager got hurt. Corey Seager missed, like, the entire <laughs> season. I don't want to say it didn't matter because, sure, it matters, but you need to have, like, quality guys who can step up, and you're you're seeing that with these teams. Like, the fact that the five teams had the lowest, a fewest number of these guys made the playoffs, we haven't even gotten into superstars. That is stunning to me.
2: Yeah, and if you go and you look, if you look at, you know, you, you those steering projections you had for the Dodgers of the, the best run pre- prevention teams in baseball projected – um, the Dodgers number one, the Mets are number two. Yeah. So the idea there seems to be, and like, yes, as Mike said, you can they certainly would be better if they had went out inside Machado and, you know, figure out a way to try, trade Todd Frazier or something, you know, like whatever. But given on given sort of like what Brody Van Wagen has been given to work with, he clearly made an effort to improve the depth. And some of the moves they made have drawn some criticism, like the trade for JD Davis. But Whereas last year's Mets sort of had J.D. Davis equivalents as like
1: the guys on the bench. J.D. Davis is going to start the year in the minors almost certainly. Yeah, like Raja Davis, uh, Gregor Blanco. These are like competent veterans who they can co-op. So let me list you some names here. Here are 13 names who combined last year to take over 1,800 plate appearances for the Mets. Jose Reyes, Travis Darno, Jack Reinheimer, Philip Evans, Ty Kelly, Luis Guarme, Adrian Gonzalez, Jose Lobotone, Dominic Smith, matt den decker and tomas nito most of those guys are out of the organization now uh you know nito and smith maybe still guillaume ray kicking around triple a that group those oh and excuse me i almost forgot austin jackson kevin polecki and wilmer flores those guys are all gone so all 13 of those guys combined for 1800 plate appearances they combined to hit 220 284 348 minus three war that is a lot of plate appearances that's like a quarter of their season Now, if you bring in Robinson Cano, Jed Lowry, Wilson Ramos, who we forgot to mention, J.D. Davis, and Keon Broxton, those guys uh, last year combined for 1,646 plate appearances about the same. They were worth 10 wins above replacement. Uh, Looking ahead to 2019 projections, they are projected to be eight wins above replacement. So you could argue that just by kind of getting rid of the fluff and bringing in competent major leaguers, it's like a 10-win swing for the Mets. I'm not saying that's actually what's going to happen, but it seems pretty clear to me that's the plan, right? I mean, that's you don't want to play Jose Reyes anymore. I would much rather play Jed Lowry. Cool. Or bring Jeff McNeil off the bench or as an outfielder or whatever. Like, that makes so much sense to me.
2: And and, and going back, we're talking about the play discipline. Clearly, the team, you you look at it, the offense is going to be a team that takes a lot of pitches. They're probably going to try and, you know, wear you out a little bit. Lowry and Nimmo take a ton of pitches, basically as many pitches as anyone. Confortos, you know, is kind of in that... that elk um so it's their their lineup should be pretty deep and pretty strong and you know I don't expect you know one one player I think we should all expect to regress a little bit is Jacob DeGrom because
1: he could have a, couldn't possibly give you more. He could
2: have a 5-win season which is still like elite and people are going to be disappointed. Like if he has like a 2-9 ERA people are going to be like, "Oh, disappointed." No, you don't going to
1: happen. He's going to take a step back and he's going to win 17 games because the team <laughs> around him is better. But there is there is one depth concern I still have and that is with the rotation, right? Yes. You look at the top 5 DeGrom is awesome. Uh, Syndergaard certainly has the talent to be awesome, but he's, he hasn't really had that like one, I'm healthy and killing you all season long. Uh, Zach Wheeler looked so good in the second half last year after so many years of being hurt. And then you have Steven Matz and Jason Vargas, who are rarely healthy and you know productive at the same time. And then after that is Hector Santiago, Walter Lockett, Corey Oswalt. Like, that's the fact that they announced essentially that Jason Vargas is the fifth starter with no competition is terrifying to me. Like, that's the long man I want to bring out of the pen to make some starts.
2: Yeah, no, it's the, uh, the, and I think even someone asked uh, Mickey Calloway about if he'd use an opener because Vargas is kind of the perfect guy to use yeah. an opener for, and he said no, which is a little, a little disappointing. But uh, I still wouldn't be surprised if they bring in a, there's still a bunch of like, you know, guy sort of like, you know,
1: Gio Gonzalez is like a name. He's been rumored.
2: Gio Gonzalez has been rumored. Um, Clay Buchholz is still out there He was pretty good last year James Shields Edwin Jackson Has not played for the Mets we so add had to his, uh, <laughs> his list of teams
1: uh, Giovanni Garrido is still out there um, I mean the big name is still Dallas Keuchel I guess not I, Keuchel. I, No I agree I don't know what his market is Buster only reported that At the beginning of the winter He was looking for six or seven years At 25 or 30 million dollars I have no idea how that's going to work out But it's not going to be there well,
2: if you, I mean that's just absurd When you think of what Darvish got last year
1: Yeah I like at Keuchel as like a good Number three starter um, but yeah, I feel like they got to get somebody. I just don't know who I, you know what I, I like. I don't, I don't think this happened for a bunch of reasons, but as down as I was on Alex Cobb last year, he was pretty good in the second half. He's like a competent major league starter. Uh, it would be cool if the Mets figured out a way to add Alex Cobb. Cause I feel like Baltimore would be thrilled to add any sort of talent whatsoever. Right. I don't know if that'll happen, but I'm going to throw that out there in case it does happen. <laughs> it would make sense, wouldn't
2: it? I think it's more likely that one of these guys gets desperate for, for a job and they end up signing him.
1: Yeah, I mean, Gio Gonzalez, I He's think been, that he's been rumored. That so makes sense. It makes, he's fine. Makes a, makes, a, makes a lot of sense. Um, but I, I really do think the Mets, I, I'm not going to call them the favorites because they're not. I still think the the Nationals are the best team, but they are interesting. There's four good teams in that division. Someone's going to finish fourth, and I think it might be the Braves. Uh,
2: Yeah, the Braves... I, they're starting pitching. Yeah, right. Concerns me, and uh, Nick Marquise is not going to be as good as he was last year. No, and I an, expect Acuna to be an elite oh yeah
1: superstar. Yeah, but Albie's. We've talked about Albie's. I, mean, I still have some concerns about Albie's. Donaldson could have a really good year. That's just true. Um, I think Sean Newcomb's going to take a step back. I like Mike Fultonevich. Uh, I you know that team could totally sign Keuchel and Kimbrel tonight, and it would make a ton of sense, and I would feel so much better about them. I don't think they will do that. Uh, but they should. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Anyway, I'm really looking forward to the National League of East. That is our show for this week. Uh, this is the MLB.com Stackcast podcast. No show next week. We'll catch up with you again after that. Thanks for listening.
0: Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best